Hi, everybody. Welcome to the B2B Sales Podcast. I'm Skip Miller. And I'm Thibaut Suiris. Every two weeks, we're going to be interviewing thought leaders, experts, and top performers in B2B sales. And every other week, we'll share tactical tips and insights on how to start conversations, generate opportunities, and close deals faster. We're on a mission to change the way people see sales. As you know, sales is a profession that is one of the most rewarding ever. Yet people are afraid to try or really extend themselves. And this isn't really good. This podcast is brought to you by Sales Labs and M3 Learning. If you want to attend the recording of the podcast episodes and ask your questions to the guests, you can join the Selling Advantage community. It's a $25 a month subscription where you get access to a community of B2B salespeople, exclusive events, and tactical resources to help you close bigger deals faster. Join today and get one month for free at www.sellingadvantage.io. So get ready for your dose of sales wisdom, tools, and tactics, and enjoy the show. Uh, born in Switzerland, in Geneva, from uh, parents who are French, in uh, my origins from south of France. And um, basically, I've been in sales since I'm 15 years old. So I started selling airplane cleaning services when I was small, like uh, little. So basically, I wanted to do my pilot license, but my parents were against paying for that because they said you have to have a proper education, <laughs> go to university and not become a pilot. And I didn't want to become a pilot, by the way. I wanted to just fly small planes. So my grandfather told me at the time, instead of like trying to raise money from your family, why don't you go and, you know, wash airplanes and just like, you know, just get into the world, get paid for that. And that's exactly what I did. And I started kind of like selling airplane cleaning services to uh, airplane owners in Switzerland in the local airfield. And so um, that was kind of my formal introduction to sales. Um, then I managed to do my pilot license, but I went to university in Canada and uh, in Montreal. And then I actually co-founded the company called Buddy Pilots, which failed. Uh, that there was a selling too, but he basically failed in there. And let's say my real education in B2B tech sales has been <clears throat> since 2015 for a company called Applause, where I grew the French market from uh, zero to 2.5 million of recurring revenue in around two and a half years. And uh, that's uh, what I've done. Then I left for another company and then I just started being annoyed and uh, just like tired of making others rich. So <laughs> I created my own company, Sales Labs, and now I'm training and coaching uh, Texas people to book more meetings. Nice. Cool. Super, super interesting background. Um, I guess just going all the way back then, how like a 15 year old selling, you know, services to, to airlines how were you doing that? Like from cold, what were you doing? Like, I guess you didn't have like any B2B experience, any sales experience. What, what were you doing? What were you trying out? So I wasn't selling to airlines because uh, that would have been, I think, impossible just in terms of employing someone who's like not declared underage and everything. <laughs> so I went to a local owner, owners and then I was just like, I printed some small business cards that I put like into the, uh, the, the door of the planes in the hangar because I had access to that. And uh, some people called me and then some people just saw me and they say, and I would say, hey, you know, I was just called approaching them and I was uh, talking with them and I say, your plane is pretty dirty, by the way. Do you like, are you, how often are you cleaning it? So I was doing like some kind of discovery and often they were like, I don't clean it. I, there's no service around here. Or it's too expensive. I say, I can do it for 20 bucks an hour. And so that's how I did it. And I, I, I watched some, I mean, some owners gave me like, 
the the keys of the airplane and, and they gave me like the responsibility to to clean something that is worth sometimes there was one that is worth i think 3.5 million wow. uh, swiss francs and i was just like 15 years old cleaning that so <laughs> that was pretty cool yeah yeah i mean i've heard of people like i washed cars when i was like i don't know yeah. 12 13 years old i washed cars that's like the thing paper rounds washing cars i've never heard of anyone like washing planes that's super cool um yeah that was really nice and and then to talk to like your your bdr journey your sales journey so you, you said there you, you know you were applause um you started you know the french market there what yep. did you how did you how did you kind of feel about the b2b market what did you learn there um what did you get right at the beginning what did you get wrong uh be interesting to hear your thoughts on that so I, I that was a really important experience for me um i i kind of went without kind of experience in b2b sales um or tech sales so i didn't really know how to prospect or anything so i arrived there and it was a purely outbound uh, driven company, no marketing. I'm pretty sure they still have no marketing campaign that actually work. <laughs> and uh, in French on top of that was very complicated. The, the product crowd testing is a, it's kind of like a hard product to sell because uh, it's first punctual. So people don't really need that all the time. Uh, there's a specific set of companies that actually have a need for that. So it was really tough and it was really about educating the market. So really early on what I learned is that if you have a, you know, like the first thing you have to do when you start a job as an SDR is to find what's your cruising altitude, I call that. Mm -hmm. So what's the level of activity you need to put every day to reach a certain amount of replies. And then basically I was just taking my uh, targets. So I was not, uh, I was a full cycle A, so I had like a quota target. Mm -hmm. And then I was dividing it by the average deal size. And then I was finding out how many touch points or people needed to add it to, to sequence. And very quickly, uh, I realized, and this this kind of like reinforced all the time, that if I was very, um, uh, let's say, regular and, and really focused on every day on executing and prospecting, I was able to actually reach my targets. So it was around 20, 25 new prospects per day in my sequence. Mm -hmm. And then if I was able to do that, I was having enough conversations. And so uh, it was 2015. So it was easy just by emails. I was sending five emails and uh, that worked really well. Yeah, nice. I like that. I've never, yeah, I've never had the cruising altitude, but like, yeah, the, the concept of working backwards and, okay, my quota is whatever, like a million bucks, a half a million. How many meetings do I need? Um, and you'd gone all the way down to working out the number of net new prospects per day. Yeah, and so you exactly. Were yeah. And then, yeah, like you mentioned there, 2015, um, emails were working they had a much better response rate um were you using sequencing in 2015 or was it just individual emails so i was uh, there's something I, I i never explained that i don't understand why but basically i tried two things i tried to uh, we had a, a tool called Tardap, which has been bought i think by salesforce or whatever it was just a sequencing tool and uh, I put like my templates and there was like a first email with one element of personalization and then like four emails that were exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And whenever they were running into a sequence in an automated uh, fashion, they were having a lot less replies than whenever I was just taking the email, copy pasting and sending it myself. Mm -hmm. So I've actually really liked the, uh, I used the automation to actually give myself some tasks. Mm -hmm. So every day I was able to go and find a list of follow-ups I need to add. So it makes very prospecting very simple. You have a list of follow-ups, you have 25 new prospects to find and contact, then it's you're done basically. Yeah. So I was using this, 
Uh, and that's what I, I, I always advise people on doing is having this automation to actually give you some to-dos or tasks mm-hmm. and just go through your list. And when the list is over, you're done, basically. Yeah, it's having that structure. I think it's, you know, it's easy to get overwhelmed with, I need to do more prospecting, I need to make more calls. But actually, I think like going back to this cruising altitude, you should know kind of how many calls, how many emails you send, how many follow-ups. And as long as you stick to that yeah. structure you'll typically get the results, right? Exactly, yeah. Um, and, and you touched on it there as well. Um, one thing that would be good to understand is personalization. Um, how, how, do you, how do you feel you know, the best salespeople are personalizing? What types of personalization uh, are helpful, are good that get results today? So that's a, a very hot topic, as you know. Um, for me, I think there's two things that matter when you're prospecting is uh, relevance and creativity. So first of all, you need to actually be creative. So in the way the, the media you use, so people actually use that. I'm thinking about video prospecting, LinkedIn voice notes and stuff that are different from what we typically receive. So the first thing is getting your message re- uh, read or seen or heard. And once you have that, it's really about personalization and for that i like to use triggers so mm-hmm. triggers are uh, based on like uh, what i call digital footprint mo- in most of the case so it's an element you can use that shows the prospect has a problem a potential problem you can solve or has an interest in talking to you and very concretely if you are customers uh, and, and if your prospects are on linkedin for example you'll see people liking engaging with posts that can be yours or other people's posts or you can see people actually following you, following companies, or checking your profile, for example. These are all triggers you can use to start conversations. And the idea of personalization, I think, is to understand how to find these triggers really quickly and insert them into your sequence so you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Because mm-hmm. that's a big issue I see when I train SDRs and sales teams is that they are spending too much time reinventing the wheel every day. It's a very tiring process. Mm-hmm. And so they, they just hate it. They spend a lot of effort for no result. And one thing we t- tend to forget is that uh, no matter how good you are at prospecting, there's going to be almost never the case where more than half of the people you contact will reply. Mm-hmm. So in any case, if you're very successful, you're going to get maybe 40% extremely successful. But mo- in most cases, people will not reply. So you have to keep that in mind and be able to um, add this personalization uh, knowing that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. Like that, that argument of, I've seen this with sales salespeople, you know, they can spend half a day writing the best sequence or the best personalization, but ultimately that person may has never responded to an email in their entire lives. They probably will never respond to an email. Mm-hmm. So it's getting, I think what you said, looking at that digital footprint, looking to see what triggers you can potentially use. You mentioned a few there. So things like activity posts, um, have they shared or liked any activity? Mm-hmm. Um, companies, they're following. Um, are there yeah. any other things you look at, like mutual connections or where they're based, or do you try and bring in any of that? Is that helpful? So I think what matters, like one of the first thing you need to do is to have a clear idea of, of your ICP. Mm-hmm. So for that, I like to use the ICP matrix where you understand what type of companies you go after and what type of job titles you go after. And so once you have these, you're able to check and take an, a situation where you see maybe a post with people who liked, and then you can filter out and the people you want to talk to. So for me, that, that's really like the approach I take is um, uh, it depends on some industry, but like one of the best approach you can take if people live online is to use some kind of, uh, of post from, let's say, competitors, thought leaders, 
people who are dragging a lot of, of that attention, who have an audience, and then use this post to, uh, I call that the, the oasis effect, basically. So this post attracts people just like an oasis attracts animal in the desert. And if you want to go and hunt for food in the desert, if you find an oasis, you know it's going to be easier because there's going to be animals around the water. That's the same in prospecting. So they attract these people here. And then you can actually use this oasis as the excuse to get in touch with them. And so that's the way I do it for me is really instead of looking for leads individually or building a list with Sales Navigator, yeah. I'll actually go and try to find a specific event that will attract these people. It can be a post, can be a LinkedIn event, can be a yeah. group they have in common, and then use that to add the relevant spark. Nice. I like it. Yeah. And, and again, because it's it's all about, I guess, getting that, getting them to think if there's a competitor pose and you're, yeah, you, I like this away system that, you know, you're bringing them there um, versus, mm -hmm. yeah, kind of randomly, hey, I'd like to set up a demo or anything like that. You know, these things don't work. Um, yeah. You, you kind of touch on and an important thing that everyone has, this varies from company to company, but metrics. Um, what metrics do you think are important that SDRs or AEs, you know, prospecting should be looking at? You know, is it, do you go beyond the number of emails and calls? Are there any other kind of things or metrics that you feel are really important that people may or may not be measuring? So I think the first metric that you need to, to have, uh, for me, like uh, activity metric is an activity you can actually check when people are not performing well. You want to check if they are doing any work. But in most cases, what I think is the most important metric is net new prospecting sequence. So for me, the approach I have is, uh, I don't build sequences every day. I basically build sequences twice a year. So I did one uh, for the first half and I did another one for the second half. And the sequence has six touch points. There's some slight variation, but there's like a way you, you work with the sequence. And so what matters is that I add prospects to the sequence every day. So net new prospects added to sequence. And then another thing that is very important is the reply rate, mm -hmm. uh, more than meeting rate or anything, because if you don't get any replies, you won't get any meetings. So often people will focus on these uh, lagging indicators, like number of opportunities generated. Yeah. But for me, if you want to generate, I don't know, 10 opportunities, you need to have maybe 20 discovery calls. And out of these, you need to have, I don't know, 200 replies. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the idea is really to understand these, uh, all, all these metrics. So for me, it would be net new prospects, reply rate, uh, meeting rate, and then opportunity rate. Amazing. Those are, yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Those are some great metrics. And I think the net new prospects, is, is always the key one, right? Because if you're finding net new contacts, you're personalizing using these triggers, you have a good idea that your response rate is in the right way. It really is that simple. Yeah, as long as you do the activity uh, and you're conscious yep. about that activity. Um, exactly. And, and the uh, I think the touch point, uh, often, you know, I was thinking touch points are important or touch points per lead. But if you have a sequence with, I don't know, six touch points, um, no matter what, you'll actually reach your cruising altitude where more or less you're going to get some people, you know, for me, typically I had five new prospects every day. I still prospect every day like that, mm -hmm. which brings a total of between 20 and 25 uh, touch points more or less per day. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more because some people are like are replying. So this sequence stop. So it, it really depends, but there's always going to be this kind of average there will be. And so for me, it's more, you know, I could, I could just like harass everyone and just send in 30 messages. Yeah. But the idea for me is to try and start as many conversations yeah. as with as many people who are relevant as possible. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's, and I think you've, you've broken down some good points here in terms of not overwhelming 
like I need to contact hundreds. It's, you know, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a handful, it's a good amount. And even if you like to think yeah. like 20 new prospects a day, it adds up though, right? That's 20 a day, that's a hundred a week, 400 a month. And you kind mm-hmm. of, over the year, that's what, 5,000. So that's yeah. a, a kind of big amount. If you kind of again, focus on to add that, what, 5,000, maybe 10% might get back to you. So that's mm-hmm. five, you know, 500 people, you yeah. work your response rates, it kind of starts becoming a bit more achievable if you start working from the 20. Um, yeah. What What do you see? I get final kind of couple of questions here. What do you see with the top performing SDRs? You know, you've worked with a lot of companies, you've seen you know, the commonalities with top performing SDRs. What do you, what do you see that, that trait, whether it's a personal trait or a process they use? Mm-hmm. I would love to get your thoughts on that. So I think like um, there's this, there's something on LinkedIn you see often is this kind of SDR hustle culture where um, people are, are kind of like putting this role. And sometimes if you're an SDR and you see others posting, you feel like it's a, it's a role where you, we work 12 hours a day for $35,000 and then you're happy and you're like, yeah, I'm going to become an AE. And for me, I'm just not really a big fan of this culture because the most successful SDRs I met were lazy. So uh, I did a post about that yesterday. And uh, they're lazy because they, they actually value that time. So they work on a few things. And the, the really successful SDRs, first, they are curious. I think that's a trait that is very important. But in terms of organization, they, they do it in a different way. So the first thing they do, they time block. So they have like uh, time blocks in their calendar to work on things that are important for them, namely prospecting, finding some leads, and all these kind of things. They start with the task they hate the most first, like call calling or call emailing, whatever. And then they really show up every day. So they just like do it every day. And what I've seen, I've seen some of the best SDRs working two hours a day and they were reaching the targets easy. And they were just like the rest of the time chilling or doing what other stuff. So obviously it depends on the industry, the product you're selling and, and how free you are to organize your day. But really time blocking, um, having this uh, first, like uh, the worst act- the activity you had the first and then really executing every day. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So it's that that kind of discipline and, and structure. So it's like, okay, I'm going to block out between 9 and 11 a.m. every single day. Um, and, you know, yeah. prospecting's hard. I think people who like prospecting, it's brilliant, it's fun, it's amazing. So the reality is it's tough, right? It's a lot of rejection. It's a lot of repetitive yeah. tasks. So, you know, you have to turn up and do it every single day, right? Maybe like exactly. four out of five days, not necessarily five days, but, you know, four out of five days. So those time blocks, are, yeah, you see those, the best performing people are using those time blocks. Yeah. And really, like, what I see sometimes is that, and often it's it's really hard because, like, management and leadership sometimes come up with crazy asks. So they say, we have a webinar that is coming up, push the webinar like crazy. So you end up sending 200 emails or 200 touch points on Monday. And then you have your follow-up on Wednesday, 200, and then you're like, it's, it's impossible. Nice. So that's really about understanding that you you can, you should not chew more than you can actually, uh, I don't know, like bite more than you can eat or whatever. Yeah. And you should just like split that and, and really make it easy to do, make it uh, achievable yeah. every day. And for me, that's that's something I've, I've seen like... I don't like prospecting. I still do it every day because it's important. I love talking about prospecting, but it's not a task I kind of love doing. And first thing I arrive in the morning, I do my coffee, open my computer and I do my prospecting. Yeah. Like there's no exception. That's the first thing I do no matter what. 
And if I have a training at nine, I will show up at eight so I can do it. And that's really just really about doing this. And it takes me, I don't know, 30 minutes a day maximum. Yeah. So it's really about making sure that you make it a habit you can do that is healthy and that lets you a lot of more time to do the other things you love doing in your job. Yeah, no, amazing. Yeah, and I think that's so important. I think it's it's not making it scary. It's you know, achieving it on a you know daily basis. Like whatever you do it's today, it's like, okay, can I do this every day for the rest of the month? Mm-hmm. Or is this something I'm just going to go crazy on for one day? And you've touched on the, the, the habits of highly you know, successful SDR salespeople. And you kind of touched on it there, I guess, with the lower performing SDRs. Mm-hmm. Do you think they are that kind of random prospecting, high activity, not really thinking um, about what they're doing? Is, that, is, that, is it almost the opposite to what you said the successful people are doing? Yeah, I mean, you, you have different traits, but sometimes people who are, uh, you know, like not really organized going to have a, a bit of a harder time. Also, people who are really attached to the outcome uh, are going to have a, a, a tough time. So for me, I learned very quickly to be completely detached of it. When I prospect, I have zero emotional um, kind of like attachment to whoever I prospect. I remember when I was working at Applause, we had a, an SDR who was coming and say, hey, I booked a meeting with this company. And I was great. I mean, as if I do the discovery call, I'll, I'll start being excited. But if, if it's Coca-Cola, or whatever, I don't care. You know, maybe they don't have a need or so really learning to get these, these things. So they are very attached to the outcome. And also they, they just like, one thing I found is they have an understanding of, of how people buy that is very uh, wrong. So typically what the problem we see is that in uh, let's say business education or when we start in the corporate world, we feel like we have to use a, a bunch of jargon and kind of like weird buzzwords. And we forget that the other person, if they're CTO of a big company or whatever, they're still human and they still often have humor. And so they buy as humans, not as companies. So we use all, you know, they tend to use these, these very complicated words. And that's one of the favorite thing I love doing in training is I get them and I just say, what are you meaning? You know, like, what yeah. do you mean by 360 learning platform? And they don't even know what they mean. Yeah, yeah. So it's really like making it simpler. And, uh, and often that, that's, yeah, that's the traits we see in people who are failing. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I think I've always used the description, like, can you describe this to your grandmother? Would she understand? Yeah. Or yeah, your grandfather, if you're explaining this to them about what your technology does or mm-hmm. how it helps customers. And I think once yeah. you break it down to that level, it becomes a lot easier. Um, exactly Tiba, amazing thank you so much um that's some absolute gold in terms of the structure breaking it down in terms of metrics you know finding that icp um almost treating it you know what are those tasks you can be doing up front do them time block um i think there's some yeah really important uh, takings from this that i think people are really going to enjoy listening to so really appreciate that thank you Thanks for listening to that episode. If you like what you hear and you want to explore more, I invite you to join the Selling Advantage community. It's a paid community we're running with Skip Miller, where you're going to get access to a content library with training, checklist, and exclusive resources. You'll also get access to our experimentation swipe file and a Discord group with 150 Texas people. We also have online events where we invite special guests, a regular Ask Us Anything, and our content is focused on sales for North America and EMEA. If you want to check it out, go to sellingadvantage.io or click on the link in the show notes and you'll be able to sign up.